0: This morning's lesson is on character development. So in The Secret, we talk about the law of attraction and how we need to be really careful about who we surround ourselves with because we wind up being the average of those people. So we are going to make vision boards about people who are demonstrating good character, like Angelina Jolie. So, what qualities do you guys admire
1: about Angelina Jolie? Her husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else? Her hot bod. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, the hot bod is not a characteristic, but okay.
1: How long do we have to do this for?
0: Well, we're going to do it until we finish, and then we're going to move on to the
1: fluorescence board. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are finishing up our look at women filmmakers
0: with the Sofia Coppola 2013 film The Bling Ring.
1: Yep. And that was uh, for one last time, uh, the remix that is sweeping the nation, the Katie Long version of our uh, song Banking. By it's number country. one in Finland. Number one in Finland. It's yeah, it's just we, we keep getting those calls from the Fens requesting it, so we thought we'd play it one more time, and it's delightful. So it is delightful. I, I, I will listen to any Katie Long ukulele piece ever, and there aren't enough of them. No, no, not at all. I. But this is a total tangent to start, and I apologize because normally we are very focused. On laser the exact topic in. at hand so please give me this one indulgence but molly and i watched an amazing video on youtube last night <laughs> that was a woman was playing the ukulele She was playing the song creep by radiohead with her parrot who was a, like singing with not singing correctly but it was just like the hook of it was i'm gonna sing this song with my parrot And she was singing Creep by Radiohead, playing it on the ukulele, and the parrot would just jump in with whatever noise it wanted whenever it felt like it. And it was great. Sounds great. And I think it had 2.5 million views. Good night, everybody. (laughs) So that's her silver lining. Yep, we did it.
0: That's the silver linings for Sophia Coppola's 2013 film, The Bling Ring. Yep. Is that Joel watched a video... With his wife of a woman playing creep on the ukulele while a parrot provided non
1: sequitur voice interludes. You know, I think. A la Migos. Yeah, I, I think when Al Gore invented the internet, that's exactly what he had in mind. It's not not what he had in mind. Yeah, he, those series of tubes were yeah, meant all to. all those
0: tubes. Yeah. Led us to a video of a woman mm-hmm. with her parrot. Mm-hmm singing creep with random interjections. That's great. Uh, and that link will be in the uh, <laughs> it should, description yeah. for this week's episode.
1: Yeah, we'll totally. We'll, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. So make sure you look so for make that. make sure you
0: check the show notes if you want to
1: see that, because it's really
0: relevant to uh, thinking about the bling ring. It's not not relevant. That's true. Because, because of, it is conspicuous consumption and consumer culture and celebrity obsession, yeah. which are all themes of the bling ring.
1: Yeah, so I think that's a perfect place to dive into this movie. So, probably worth mentioning up top. I think we already said, I mean, this is the last of our uh, women filmmakers that we're spotlighting. Sofia Coppola, uh, obviously a brilliant uh, director that, you know, has done a lot of great stuff that I really, truly love. Uh, Marie Antoinette, it's a great movie. Now, if she had stopped after her first two movies, I think she still would have had a
0: vaunted career, deservedly so. Yes, yeah. If you just stop with Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation, which are two fantastic movies... And Marie Antoinette.
1: Those are the first three.
0: This might have predated Marie Antoinette. Oh. No, it, no, didn't. No, no, it did no, not. No, that's no it not didn't. Like it. Because... 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 Uh, uh, um, Kirsten Dunst is in her Kirsten first Dunst three movies. Her name. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Kirsten Dunst uh, paid a visit
1: to the set. Yeah. Of this movie, so... But I think yeah, if, really. Yeah, if she had stopped with the Kirsten Dunst trilogy. Yeah, what the Dunst trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even right. though Kirsten Dunst
0: is barely in Lost in Translation.
1: I know, I was having that too, but I was, but she still is in it. Yeah. Anyway, if she had stopped um, with those.
0: Then you could look, but I would say that her first three movies, I would put up against most directors' first three movies. Yeah. And I mean, she's like, as as quality, you know, just yeah. like. I think a lot of directors take a little more time to find their voice, to find whatever, Um, but she came out of the gate with uh, three pretty fantastic films. Yep. Yeah. And then she made this. (laughs) And the returns (laughs) have been diminishing after that. I I think she hasn't made some good movies since then, but...
1: Yeah, I haven't seen all of her. Like, I wanted to see On the Rocks, and I have not seen that one yet. But, uh, yeah, definitely the first three are the the most lauded.
0: Yes, and, you know,
1: Deservedly so. We also... After she decided she had
0: uh, perfected acting with Godfather
1: 3. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, we've also talked about the, the Coppolas in general quite a bit on this show. We devote an entire month of our podcast to one Nicholas Coppola. Yeah, her cousin. And uh, we did do Godfather 3 on this show. Right. Directed so. by her father and,
0: and uh, starring her in a prominent role. Uh, which is was one of the heaviest critical minings, But you can go back and listen to that episode, because um, in that episode we have actually a ukulele soundtrack the whole time and a parrot just randomly interjecting things.
1: Also, we are so, very defensive. Like we we defend her like from her, the unfair uh, focus. It, yeah, she's on her. she
0: is she's not great, but I I don't think she get deserves nearly the hate that she gets.
1: Right, and there's that movie has a lot of other problems. Oh
0: yeah. Anyway, but still is, might be the best movie we've watched on this podcast.
1: It's possible. Yeah, uh, I would say this movie's up there, though. I, I don't know where you landed on the bling ring, but I think I would hardly I would strongly disagree with that sentiment. OK, I think it's in the, the upper tier of movies that we've watched. But, it
0: might be top half.
1: Yeah, that's more what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. OK, yeah, <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle, I, I would say. That's probably true. But it's yeah, I would definitely not in the bottom.
2: No, this, like, it, it's probably the best
1: movie
0: we've watched this month.
1: I mean, I have a special place in my heart for Bad Girls Go to Hell, but, but on a technical level, yes.
0: Bad Girls Go to Hell is,
1: is like, it's, it's almost like shouldn't be part of the rating scale. Yeah, it, it is, it exists in its own, uh, unique space, but yeah, I would say compared to Blue Steel and to Black Sheep. Um, this is definitely better than those two, unequivocally. Um, it's. I just realized the, the weird theme of color and object of those two movies. Yeah, we could have really done like we could have done a Clockwork Orange. We could have tried to find four movies that have a color, that have
0: a color and an object.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they exist.
2: Red the, the, Dawn, the, bla- the Black Panther. Anyway. Uh, yeah, let's talk about... Uh,
0: we've, you know, we're going to get to the bling ring. I promise. Um, but yeah, this movie, I think, was aiming to be a zeitgeist movie. And that's a bad choice.
1: Well, we should make it clear. It's based on a true story. It's, ba- it's based know. on a true story. Yeah, it's it's actually specifically based on a Vanity Fair article about a true story that... I think it was 2011, so it was very recent from when the movie was made. Like, basically, because Sofia Kobla wrote and directed this, uh, and basically would have had to be writing it very shortly after the real story unfolded. So, like, about, yeah, as, like, about as contemporary to the thing as you can be and be yeah, a movie.
0: The, most of the crimes happened in, like, 08, 09, and then this movie came out in 2013. Based on a Vanity Fair article, the uh, the burglar wore Louboutins, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and then we got the bling ring because that was also the nickname given to this crime syndicate, if you will.
1: Right, but then the notable thing is that in the movie, the names are changed, uh, and one of one of the uh, co-conspirators is completely left out. But sort
0: of. As like an amalgam into some other characters. Yeah,
1: because the character that's the person that's left out was the one who crawled through doggy doors, which happens in the movie, but is given to a different character. So they sort of right. like, was I mean, that happens a lot in, you know, Hollywood true stories where you sort of make amalgam characters or, you know, you just streamline things a bit, you know, because it's too many For the characters sake of narrative. Yeah. So I think that's what happened there.
0: But yeah, so uh this movie I you know is about celeb obsessed teens in the Hollywood Hills. And uh I don't know, I just feel like that Sofia Coppola was like trying to make Blueless or fast times, even though not as much of a direct comedy, but like trying to be like that zeitgeist movie. And I think that at any time you try to make a movie that's capturing the Zeitgeist, uh it's real easy to swing and miss. And I think that's sort of what happened here.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that for me, at least what do, there's a lot that I like about it. Like there are, there are things that I think she does well and things that I think she captures well. But I think the reason it didn't work for me as well as I wanted it to was one, she kind of makes a choice. It's shot in this very, almost like documentary style. There's a lot of uh, just like very plain, you know, like the filmmaking is shot as if it's a documentary, as if we're just following these characters. It, it's shot like reality TV is really what it's shot like. Yeah. which the confessionals. Is pro-
0: which is intentional.
1: Yes. And I think a good choice. See, I think it's a bad choice <laughs> uh, because... And yeah, like, a lot of the music is, like, diegetic music, you know, it's in the the world, you know, it's, so it's shot very plainly, and... Cinema Verite is the... Yeah, there you that. go. Uh I I like that we dropped diegetic and Cinema Verite, and on a podcast that started by recommending that people watch uh, a video of a woman playing a ukulele while... And a, remember, check the episode notes for the link to that yeah, video. Yes. Uh, but... All that to say, for me, I think that's where the problem with this movie starts is because I'll put it this way. I mean, we just lost Ray Liotta recently. I rewatched Goodfellas, which is one of the greatest American movies ever made. and Sure is. I think there's some overlap here with
0: that movie. I would say second only to that video of yes. the woman playing the ukulele.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I think there's some overlap just thematically with person who wants a certain lifestyle and is willing to do crimes to have that lifestyle. And you watch Goodfellas, and it is this just Gonzo filmmaking, uh, needle drops, big, uh, great action scenes, great memorable tracking shots. It's a movie, movie that where like literally, you know, Henry Hill is talking into the camera at the end it's not afraid of the artifice of filmmaking all of that this movie is trying to be more documentary trying to be more realistic and so they're breaking into celebrities homes and they're stealing their jewelry and i watching it i was like this feels too normal in a boring way (laughs) like you you made it so normal and stripped away all of the the cinematic quality of it that it just feels underwhelming like it doesn't feel that it matches what they're doing which i think crushes the stakes and the overall arc of the movie is that yeah it's easy to break into paris hilton's house but if it never feels like it matters that you're constantly breaking into paris hilton's house and stealing her jewelry then it's hard to care that you're doing it
0: yeah it's one of those things where i think that In trying to capture the, like, blasé attitude of these incredibly privileged teens, uh, it ended
1: up removing a lot of the stakes of the movie. Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to say, is that the whole thing felt blasé. We as an audience felt checked out, you know, it's a disaffected youth kind of vibe where now we as the viewer feel disaffected from the storyline, where, again, I think a little more... Goodfellas, Razzmatazz, or I don't know if any Coppola's made any gangster movies at all that she could have maybe Uh, visited. mm. I can't think of any. Oh, uh, The Outsiders. Kind of a similar thing. Yes, uh, a movie about disaffected youth culture. Yeah, so she had watched her dad's film The Outsiders. Maybe she could have borrowed from that a little bit. But like, I think just you know, when they're stealing the stuff, they're posting on social media. I mean, there's a lot of scenes in and of themselves that if you watch them, you know, they're they find like Paris Hilton's what do they call it, The Whatever the party room is that she has. Uh, I think they just call it the club room. The club room. Yeah, like they're dancing in the club room or they're trying on jewelry. There's a lot of stuff in it that feels like it should be big. And it's just, I think, if you did needle drops and you did really stylized camera work and made it all feel bigger, I think it would have landed harder. Yeah, I think, th- I think that's another
0: problem with the movie is that it, the movie can't decide if it likes the protagonists or hates them.
1: Right. And the, see, that's the other thing that I was. Yeah. So the, to me, the biggest thing is that the, the lack of stakes, the lack of like sort of stylistic flair in the way that it's shot. But then the other problem I, and I want to say that I think the thing that Sophia Coppola does well and I think does well in all of her movies is she's really good at writing very organic dialogue for teenagers and presenting teenagers in a very believable way in the way they interact and behave. And I think she's good at that. I think in this movie, there's a lack of depth to the characters that they never feel fully realized. And we never really understand why they're doing this stuff. And it's just hard to connect with them on more than a surface level.
0: Yeah. I th- most, most of the characters in the movie have one trait. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, uh Mark played by Israel Browsard is a shy wimp. Who likes wearing women's shoes. Who likes wearing women's shoes. That uh Rebecca Ahn, played by Katie Chang, is uh like the devil may care ringleader. I do think she's
1: the most developed
0: character. I think she is too and, and as she is the lead character, I guess, for this movie, even though a lot of the marketing centered around uh Emma Watson, who is by far the biggest and still
1: is the biggest star from this movie. Yeah, I think that she's supposed to be the lead because she's also the one that the article was about, uh, was the real person that Emma Watson's character is based on. Uh, but yeah, the other character, uh, was it Rebecca On? Is that the um, that's the fictional, I think, is video. a fictional name, is the ringleader of the group. Um, because we see the interview happen in the movie, too. Right. And and she is very clearly a sociopath
0: and played to, I think, really good effect by
1: Katie Chang. That's what I'm saying is, like, her character works the best because she's the first one who wants to break into the houses when everyone else is kind of going, hey, maybe we should stop this. You know, people are starting to figure it out. There's security footage. She does not waver. She gets out of town at the right time without really warning her friends. She's right. completely blasé when the FBI shows up. And then, even when she
0: goes from completely denying everything and without a iota of emotional change, saying, Well, if I tell you where the evidence is, what will that get me?
1: Yeah. And then is asking if this what the celebrity said about. Right. And that's like where she's,
0: she shows the most emotional connection to anything. Right. Like,
1: and so her oh character. my God.
0: What did Lindsay say?
1: Yeah. No, I think her character worked well. Yes. Uh, but yeah, then, uh, Emma Watson's character who in the movie is named, I don't know if you have it in front of you.
0: Uh, I think it's, well, Nikki in the movie, but I forget the real life character might also be Nikki, oddly enough, with a different last
1: name. Alexis Nyers is the real. Alexis Nyers. Okay, I knew there was an N. But, uh, but Nikki in the movie, but yeah, she, it's a shame because I think there was a lot of potential for her, and again, you cast Leslie Mann as her mom, as we heard in the clip in the beginning, and I, I'm fascinated by it. I love that clip. Like, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of potential there for this homeschooling that she's doing and how celebrity-obsessed the homeschooling is, but it's hardly a factor in the plot of the movie. There's really just a very scant few scenes where we right. see and it. That,
0: it sort of gets into this, like, pseudo-religious celebrity culture there's these family prayers that are very cultish, and yeah, it's um, it's just it's it dips its toe into a lot of different waters, but never really dives in in a meaningful way. Because like another like big fact of a lot of the characters in the movie is that they had substance abuse problems, which is like a huge issue with a uh, very privileged youth that doesn't get explored at all um yeah it's
1: it's essentially ignored in the movie like right
0: you like other than one scene where they show uh emma watson's character freebasing just in her bedroom on a random night right um and a lot uh, like almost every scene where they're not robbing someone they're smoking pot yeah but um but like it's not addressed is that a lot of them you know uh alexis nyers like went on to work at the rehab facility that she attended on a court order uh, a lot of other, you know.
1: Well, yeah, um, no, Alexis Nyers, who I do. Yeah, I have more to say in general about in this episode. But yeah, the she actually to this day, there was actually this year a article that checked in on her. She still runs a rehab center that she founded. Like she has been clean and sober for a long time, has devoted her adult life to uh, doing rehab work and to, you know, really trying to make a, a positive change after. And really kind of credits all of this to being like. Obviously, I'm not happy this happened, but it took this happening for me to clean up my life, to turn things around. And now, you know, she has two kids. She runs this rehab center. Yeah, her life is a complete 180. But again, if you watch the movie, all of the substance abuse stuff, all of that bigger picture stuff is not
0: depicted. And like the last scene is her just as vapid as she was. And she's like, oh, yeah, if I had run into Lindsay Lohan at prison, like. I don't even know what would have happened, but like I heard her crying every night, you know, and just it was it's like and you can check out more information about my journey at and gives her website and yeah. All of that. So like it doesn't show anyone growing. It doesn't show anyone changing. It doesn't show anyone making their life better. And this movie was made far enough removed from the initial the bling ring, the actual crimes that um at least in the case of Alexis Nyers, she had. Uh, started to get her life on a more positive
2: track. Right. Yeah. Um.
0: But yeah, like, and that's the thing. I think, like, this movie tries to do too much and then ends up not doing enough. Right. Yeah. Like, is it just that it's like, teens are obsessed with fashion, and teens, you know, privileged teens, uh, have no sense of consequences. And privileged, you know, all things that are, are well-worn territory in both sociology and especially, like, Hollywood films. Like, these are things that have happened before. Um, and, you know, like, I think another thing that hurt this movie was coming out at the same time as Harmony Corrine's Spring Breakers, yes. which took disaffected youth to, like, the worst extremes possible. and Which could know, describe
1: any film that he's ever made.
0: Yeah, you know, it's almost like he has a niche. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, but... um
0: but yeah, and you know, I think that like when when compared side by side, because uh, I mean, these movies like were marketed similarly. The trailers looked similar, you know, like um, even though they couldn't be more different as movies, other than dealing with teens committing crimes. Um, and I'm sure we could do an episode about Spring Breakers because that uh, yeah didn't exactly set the critics wild either. Uh, maybe at some point we'll we'll hit that. But either way, um, yeah, it just um, it kind of didn't have a thesis. And I think that made the documentary cinema verite style even more pronounced because all good documentaries have a thesis because you're essentially making an argument with your documentary.
1: Right. And there's even some weird stuff where it can't even really commit to the sort of voice over narrative parts of it where the characters are, are sort of sitting down and explaining their point of view or whatever. Maybe if they had done it more... I just think whatever it wanted to do, it needed to lean into it harder. You either needed to make a more stylized heist film or you needed to make a more documentary style movie where the characters really were explaining why they did it and why you should love them for it. And and sort of almost like a natural born killers kind of angle of like, we want to be famous and that's why we're doing this or something. But yeah, you're just... You're completely right. Yeah, it doesn't have a yeah, perspective. And
0: I know that uh, Sophia Coppola said one of the main reasons she changed names was that she didn't want to glorify any of these crimes. But like, if you're making this movie, you are maybe if not necessarily glorifying, but drawing a ton of extra attention to it.
1: Right, and um, you're using the real name of the real. It's not hard, and it's it's not difficult to figure out. All the characters are pretty A to A characterizations. Right. Yeah, it, it's. I found that not very convincing logic no and but it's that
0: the like again like the that S- sofia coppola couldn't decide if she liked these teens or if she hated them or if she wanted the audience to like them or if she wanted the audience to hate them and she didn't leave it ambiguous enough to like make up your own mind i'm gonna present all the facts and you decide like it's because there's a lot of scenes that just glorify that partying lifestyle
1: yeah well, and I you know what's interesting too that i I almost think would have been an avenue to explore, and obviously, I'm not condoning anything they did. I don't think what they did is good, but to me, what was interesting about this story is on the one hand, they were very smart tech savvy teens in that they were able to follow celebrities on social media and use information from sites like t m z or Paris Hilton or whatever, and like uh, and Google the, Maps and, and Google Maps and actual things the celebrities were posting to figure out when a celebrity would be out of town to use Google Earth to like look at their home and and find where to jump over the fence or where weak points in the security were. So there was a lot of really smart use of technology in the planning of this and their sort of reasoning of like I bet Paris Hilton leaves a key under a mat, <laughs> you know, and right. like and, and all of that. And what's interesting. Is that there's a version of this story where they really probably could have kept going into Paris Hilton's house and taken like a few pieces of designer clothing and a few shoes and maybe some loose cash over and over again. And very possibly Paris Hilton never would have known, you know, where it's like they were smart enough and were exploiting a loophole enough that they kind of found this sweet spot. But then they went bigger, they got greedier, they got, you know, they started posting stuff they took on social media, they stopped being as careful, and I think all of that, again, that kind of is the Goodfellas vibe. That's the, we started off and we really love this lifestyle and then the lifestyle consumed us kind of idea that is pretty standard to a great, uh, this type of like criminal heist type of thing. Right. And could have really worked. But it yeah, again, it doesn't really explore any of that in depth of like when it turns and when it goes from good to bad. But there is some stuff in it that I think like the scene where the one character takes a gun and is just waving it around. There's some really like heightened stuff that, again, I wish it leaned into instead of the way like the one
0: girl that gets in the car accident because she's driving while incredibly
1: intoxicated. Which also, can I just say, I'm, I'm glad we finally lost. It seemed to at least calm down on that trope because I, I feel like that trope is so cheap. Of we're in a car with the characters, and we're just hanging out with them, and then their their car is sideswiped by a car that the because of how tightly everything is being filmed, we the audience never see coming into the last second because it's always very jarring, but very jarring in a cheap way, yeah. and was done in every movie for a 10-year period, I think, <laughs> like, for a while there.
0: Yeah. That was that was a very common, like, jump scare in non-horror movies.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's in Adaptation, which is one of my favorite movies, but, like, when he's backing out, of the it just ended up in everything and to very uh, diminishing returns, you know? And so I'm glad that I haven't seen that one in a while. <laughs> like, it kind of felt yeah. like a throwback to me to see it it's in like, this. It's like,
0: oh, right, remember the late, Late aughts, early teens. When Love of the of t boning unsuspecting people yeah. in cars. Uh,
2: um, do we want to pivot, or do you have more? I mean, <laughs> like this movie, it, I think it just
0: could have been so good. Yes, and. In the choices to be like, I'm going to try to capture the blasé attitude of the disaffected, privileged Hollywood Hills teen ends up just removing all the stakes and not in a way that you like empathize with these people that can't help but grow up with a high degree of sociopathy and a complete lack of empathy that um, you can't be like, oh, man, like these people are just so numb because of the world that they live in. Uh, like it doesn't drive those points home, and it doesn't, you know, just never goes far enough uh, with any of the possible avenues that this movie could go. Um, and I think that's why it's just a very mediocre film. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Um, yes, let's pivot. Uh, I I think there is some really good filmmaking in this movie. All of that being said, yeah, um.
0: Yeah, there, there is some excellent camera work. There's uh, some of it is intentionally cheesy. And like, I don't mean that as an insult. No, like, I
1: know what you mean. Yeah.
0: Like, it, it's like intentionally looks like the hills or looks like any of those shows from that time period. Um, that's another thing. Like the fact that uh, uh, Alexis uh, Nyers slash Nikki had a reality show while yeah. they were doing the blingering stuff. And that's not brought up in the movie at all
1: put a pin in that i i have i have something on that in this okay yeah yeah we're, we're um, gonna we're gonna get to that reality show don't you worry <laughs> <laughs> um
0: but yeah and just like no like some of the scenes some of the break-ins are really
1: well shot like the one for, i think it's adrena patridge's house yeah is i think if it's the same one that i'm thinking of the one that is this wide, wide shot, shot and yeah. you just because you can see into the house from the outside. It's just this shot from the backyard. You can see the pool, and you can see the way the house is lit. And the whole thing is just silent. You just watch the two characters break in, go through the entire house, take the stuff that they take, and then leave. And it's just one continuous shot, and it is fantastic. Like, it's easily my favorite just scene in the movie.
0: And the rumor was that Sofia Coppola thought about cutting it, because she thought it was too much of a tonal shift, but ends up being like, kind of the most celebrated thing in the movie
1: yeah yeah which it is great so whoever talked her into keeping it it's... good for good on you um
0: <laughs> yeah and i think that like yeah no there is some i mean sophia coppola regardless of the overall caliber of her filmography i think is undisputably a very good filmmaker yes
1: yeah and and, and has a clear that's, eye, it shows up here yeah has a clear eye for shots and Uh, I like a lot of the way that this stuff is framed. And again, I, that other scene, I kind of mentioned it before, but the, the thing where the one character takes the gun and then just has it in the bedroom, like she's just pointing it at everyone. She, you know, people are asking if it's loaded and she does not care. And then uh, takes it and she has it like in the bedroom with her boyfriend and then ends up firing off around into the floor. That is some truly harrowing, (laughs) like tense filmmaking. And Played perfectly by characters that are too young and feeling invincible to realize how dangerous the thing that they're doing is. And, and yeah, so th- yeah, they're all definitely too young, dumb,
0: and full of cum to like <laughs> to think about what what the consequences of having a loaded uh, pistol yeah. would be.
1: Well, and I, and again, and I think that's the stuff that is successful is the idea of never like of just. The reason that this worked was their hubris and the reason they got caught was their hubris. The The fact that they exploited this loophole of just celebrities not really thinking it through of like, I live in a fancy neighborhood and I have a wall and that's enough and I don't need to have if, a security system. Being or even lock more disaffected door. than these celeb-obsessed teens. So are, the fact that, what? yeah, the fact that they had the the temerity to try this and it worked... Is its own sort of like, you know, sort of impressive thing. But then that's also what got them caught because they were so disaffected and so confident that they didn't think through the fact that, yeah, some of these people might have security cameras or posting the stuff you stole on social media might get you caught. Right. Uh, Yeah. So all of that. I do think there's some good performances, too, like, particularly I thought Katie Chang and Emma Watson were both really good in this movie. I thought so, too. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. I would agree with both of those. Um, I love Leslie that, Mann, who's criminally underserved in this movie. But, you know.
0: Yeah, but. I,
1: I think she does everything she could with what she has. Yeah, I think she Leslie Mann shines in the interview scene. <laughs> where she keeps interrupting. That's a great scene when yeah. um, it's
0: just her and Emma Watson just like, Mom, shut up. I'm doing I'm, t- I'm doing it.
1: Yeah. It's like, oh, but don't forget. Shut up. Which actually, you know, what? maybe now is the time to to pull the ripcord on this one thing that I've been saving uh, that we kind of alluded to, which is. So, yeah. So, Alexis Nyers is the basis for Emma Watson's character. She coincidentally had a reality show at the time this was happening and then was arrested right as the, I think they were filming like the first episode or something. It was right at the start of production. She got arrested. And so then her reality show had access to her during this time period. And again, to be clear, we said all this, she has really turned her life around. She does like really amazing stuff. She, you know, runs a rehab center. Seems like a very, uh, level-headed and responsible and, you know, caring adult who has done a complete 180 in her life. But also I'm still going to play this clip because this is the real. So again, this movie was based on an article in Vanity Fair, this is the real Alexis Nyers responding to uh, Nancy Joe, who wrote the article. Which, uh, do you want to give that headline one more time? Oh, uh, The Burglar War Louboutins. Okay. So this was her reading the article and then calling the reporter to tell her what she thought of the article.
2: Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers. I'm calling to let you know how disappointed I am.
0: And your story. How oh, horrible you me. You
2: and this lied. You,
1: you, you lied. show it. it. Stop it, you Mom. You lied. Stop. Damn it. Nancy Joe, this is Alexis Nyers calling. I'm calling to let you know how disappointed I am in your story. There's many things that I read in here that were false. Like you saying that I wore six-inch Louboutin heels to court with my tweed skirt when I wore four-inch little brown
0: BB shoes. Twenty-nine dollars. Every time you f- yell, I have to re-record it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I prove the movie should have gone further. <laughs> right. So kind of yeah supports yeah what I was trying to say before of like the movie should have been heightened from where it was. It should have been gone bigger, but. I will say, because that's why I wanted to play it right now, you can really see one Emma Watson I I was reading did watch clips of this reality show, really did try to study uh, Alexis Nyers. And I think that having watched that clip and seen a little bit of, of the real her, I do think that she captures it, but also that dynamic in the interview where her mom keeps interrupting while she's trying to talk is exactly what is in that clip from the real two of them. And here's the weirdest part, is that in that clip, it's not her
0: mom, it's her pet parrot. (laughs) We're going to put the link in the show notes. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, just make sure you check the show notes for that. Um, (laughs) No,
2: like that, like, but yeah, just the movie, like,
0: doesn't go far enough. Yeah. You could have, this movie, like, maybe... Sophia Coppola was so worried that it would seem like parody, but like this movie was a parody of the way humans behave. No, I think the real story is a parody of the way humans behave.
1: No, I I think that Sophia Coppola's uh, mistake was in trying to ground an inherently ridiculous story and in doing so robbed it of the ridiculousness that made it memorable. I want to see a remake of this movie by the Coen brothers. (laughs) Yes. Or like. By, honestly, Catherine Bigelow many... might have done Catherine a great job. <laughs> yeah, just uh, but with the cast
0: of uh, Point Break, so you got Patrick Swayze as uh, Alexis Nyers. You got Keanu Reeves as uh, Rebecca on, you know, all of it. A yeah. saint, note for note. Um, But yeah, no, this movie does have um the other big thing, and I was sort of joking when we were talking about choosing this movie to wrap up the month um crown on the ground by sleigh bells is a fucking banger like it's the song in the opening scene and it was the song in all the trailers yeah uh love that song um it's been a perpetual part of like most playlists that i listen to um and got me into that band um and yeah like that um, it's weird because, like, I remember the song showing up more in the movie than it did because I watched this when it came out Um, as a as a Sofia Coppola fan, uh, but it's really only in that sort of opening sequence when they're kind of introducing the disaffected teenage lifestyle and everything, and it's also like, it is the soundtrack to the trailer. Um, This movie has one of the all-time great, like, trailers too.
1: Yes. Yeah, and the I think it's excellent. Well, and I think that's the problem is that the movie that the trailer promises is the movie that I was hoping for and I just don't feel it quite lives up to the excitement of the trailer.
0: It, 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 like She was trying to somehow keep an aspect of like the norm core world that she'd built with like Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation. But this is not
1: a norm core world. Well, and again, I think she needed to lean harder into her other of those three films. Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette, which did a really good job with, with needle drops and with like exploring excess and just the party lifestyle uh yeah i think it needed more of that and and less of the other two uh yeah like normcore films that she did <laughs> yeah right that's sort
0: of like her version of like mumblecore filmmaking and i i mean i love virgin suicide yeah. and lost in translation i think they're both just amazing movies um
1: but yeah like it's which is also if people don't know every time Andy and I uh, are hanging out, and then I have to fly back to LA. He always whispers something into my ear as I'm leaving, which I is really nice, and I'd love to tell you what it is, but it's this like special thing that I don't want to give away because then it ruins the mystique of it.
0: It's uh check out the <laughs> link in the description for the video <laughs> of the woman playing creep on her ukulele. But I mean, and I. Whisper- I I feel like we did it, right? I mean, we No, I think no. I think we definitely did it. We definitely yeah. uh took a look at some excellent filmmakers this month uh that had some some whiffs in their in their careers.
1: And, and just to be clear, every single filmmaker that we spotlighted this month uh with the ex- probably the exception of uh With Bad Girls to Hell, but the other three films uh that we watched are sort of these misses in catalogs of filmmakers that have a lot of hits that you should watch if you haven't. Like, if you haven't watched, and I would agree with all of these, uh, like, with everybody, like, watch everything, but yeah, it's like, go watch other films that they did that aren't the ones that we talked about. These are all
0: filmmakers that have a fair level of renown in filmmaking um, that, you know, they did some movies that weren't, they also made black sheep
1: uh, we all make black sheep at some point in our life we do
0: uh it's almost oddly enough when i was looking uh to post about black sheep um almost almost all of the uh, like google images were from the horror film black sheep about the killer lamb
1: that did a real favor to stay
0: tuned for halloween <laughs> yeah hold on. Uh, i can't wait yeah but uh no, might, I think- might might show up if we can find, uh, movies for, for Halloween called Bad Girls Go to Hell, Black Sheep, The Bling Ring, uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do those instead. I feel like Just Bling Ring movie. is gonna
1: be the toughest to find.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is the only movie called Bling Ring.
1: Yeah. I feel like the others we might have a shot, but. There may be. Um,
0: but no, this, uh, yeah, this was, uh, I, I'm. If you take nothing else away from this month, if you haven't seen some of the other works of these filmmakers, like go out of your way to watch them. Um, I would say like maybe the Ruffies of Doris Wishman might be the ones that I can't necessarily recommend in an entertainment concept, but I think they are important in the annals of filmmaking history.
1: Yeah, but I mean, as, as we also made clear, like, you you can do a Nude on the Moon with oh, Doris Wishman. Yeah.
0: And if you, if you have the choice to do Nude on the Moon.
1: Or or Deadly Weapons slash Double Agent 73. like you, There's plenty in the Wishman catalog that you can watch that isn't uh, any roughies or anything like that. So, definitely those. I mean, if you haven't seen Wayne's World, stop what you're doing and watch Wayne's World. If you're Bridget right. Caviola, stop what you're doing and watch Tommy Boy. <laughs> too. Although that's uh, completely separate. Uh, that's just another good Farley and Spade movie. But that's just yeah, a PSA to specifically Bridget in case she's listening again this week. Like, uh, and we go, know she is. Yeah, go watch um, Tommy Boy. I, but also yeah, uh, watch The Hurt Locker and Point Break Point Break and Zero Dark Thirty Strange Days. Watch
0: um yeah, you know all of them. Just go
1: Go watch the other Coppola movies that we talked about extensively this episode. And if you don't have time, if you can only watch one thing and it's none of those, I would say watch this.
2: Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smarr. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, top chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google.
2: We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do.